Hey, I want to welcome you guys. You guys can grab a seat real quick. Uh, my name is Donnie, and I'm so excited. We're so excited that you've joined us here at Community this week. Uh, and if you're new here, this is your very first time joining us. We would love to meet you and get you a special gift from us. And one of the easiest ways for us to communicate with you is uh, through our app. And so we're going to throw that QR code right now on the screen. And so you can uh, take, a like, like any other QR code, grab the QR code, download the app, and then the very first thing you're going to see on that app is that uh, is the communication card. If you're new with us or, or you're not new with us, we would love for you to fill that out so we can communicate with you better. Um, and so uh, you can scan the QR code, fill that out. Um, and if you're new with us, whenever you're done with that, scanning that QR code, take it out. We've got a new here cart right out there. We have a special gift that we have just for you. And so we want to we wanna give that to you. It's got some information here about community and everything going on. Um, also, in the app, you'll see our next step dessert. And that's coming up in just a couple weeks on February the 16th. And so uh, if you're new to community, like been here for just a couple of months or, or this is your first time, uh, we would encourage you to join us at that next step dessert. Uh, and so all you have to do is click on that delicious looking cookie and uh, click email and, uh, and you'll email the office and tell us how many you have coming uh, just so that we can be a part of what you are doing and, and tell you more about community, your next step. And so this is, uh, it's quick and easy and, and we would love for you guys to be able to do that with us and to connect with us and, and take your next step in your faith, in, in your walk here at community. And uh, last but not least, in the app, you can see there's a tab that says give. Um, we would encourage you to give. You guys have been so generous. Uh, we just wrapped up this socks and underwear drive here at community. And, uh, and the amount of socks and underwear is just overwhelming. And you guys have been so generous. And I want to thank you so much for, for partnering with us in that. And I want to thank you for partnering with us through giving. And so you can give either on the app. You can give online at community.cc and uh, click give and give that way. Or you can do so also in the uh, containers out in the lobby. Uh, we want to thank you so much. And so if you would, you can stand back. ever think about this, that the, the early Christians, the Christians that we read about in the Bible, the Christians in the very first century didn't have all the advantages we have. They didn't have like a cube window decal for their car. They didn't have witness wear and Christian t-shirts and JC hats. They didn't have, you know, celebrity pastors with TV ministries and podcasts. They didn't have a lot of things that we think are necessary to spread the gospel. And those things can help. But when we read about the early Christians, the most amazing line to me I see in the book of Acts, it says, and the Lord added to their number daily. I'm like, every single day somebody was becoming a Christian. Every single day people were turning their lives over to Jesus. How is that possible without Christian t-shirts? Like, how is that possible without bumper stickers? Honk if you love Jesus. You know, how is that possible? 
Well, the, 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 the very thing that worked then is actually the thing that still works best today. And it's just the testimony of a satisfied customer shared with a friend. We're in 1 Peter. If you have your Bibles, you want to find that. Or if you have your app, you can just go on the notes right there. We're in 1 Peter. We're in 1 Peter chapter 3 this week. And one of the things we're going to be looking at and taking some time to really look at is um, how we share our hope with other people. Now, if you're a Christian and you've ever felt like inadequate to share your hope with somebody else? You ever felt like maybe you weren't trained well enough? You, maybe you were afraid because uh, what if somebody asked you a question, you didn't have the answer? Or, or maybe you've just had that kind of feeling, that little twinge of guilt because you got home and you realized God laid a huge opportunity right in front of you and you just blew it, right? If, if that somehow fits you at any point, like this is a great time to be here. This is a great lesson for all of us to kind of remember, what does it mean to really share our hope? I, I had that twinge of guilt, and it's happened more than once where I blew the opportunity, but the one that stands out, the one that kind of marked me happened when I was 17 years old. I was uh, doing a little bit of shopping before I started to go to college. I was actually wearing one of my t-shirts from college. The, the, the school I went to at the time was called Ozark Bible College. Later it was called Ozark Christian College, but it was OBC or Ozark Bible College. But this shirt just said Ozark. Nice big letters, Ozark. Nowadays, I have to explain to people it's not a TV show on Netflix. But um, no, it was just said Ozark. It didn't say Ozarks, just Ozark. And I was, how do I say this? I was, I was shopping in the mall with my mom. Yeah, that was difficult. It's hard, to, it's hard to be cool as a 17-year-old shopping in the mall with your mom. But I had created just enough distance to have a conversation with this one really cute girl in this one store. I kind of went back around again and looked at a couple more shirts one more time. My mom was like looking over here, and boom, I had my chance. So I struck up a conversation. And she goes, oh, Ozark, what's that? And I go, what's this, this place in southern Missouri? Have you ever heard of the Ozarks? I was just months away from going to a school to learn how to be a pastor, to learn how to go into ministry, to be a youth pastor, something. I knew, I knew God was going to use me in some way. I'm just months away from going, maybe weeks away at this point, and I completely blew it. Instead of saying, this is the school I'm getting ready to go to because I'm a Christian and I want to go into ministry, it's this place just kind of down in Missouri, and it just marked me. It's like I just, I've never forgotten that moment where I absolutely blew the opportunity that was right in front of me. Maybe you can think of that too. You know, I could think of, you know, way more recent times where that's happened too. But I want us to really kind of focus on, in this particular section, four things that Peter really kind of hones in on that's going to help us share our, our, our hope and, and how we're able then to help the hopeless. And, and what we're going to do, by the way, because we finished with verse 7 last week, we're going to skip some verses to get down to verse 15 because I'm going to spend most of our time on 15. But I, but I got to say this, those verses are worth your time. And maybe before you uh, go to bed or before you have your next meal or whenever you're able to sit down next, just like spend some time and read the whole chapter, at least beginning in verse 8, see this whole section. Because what he's saying is, even when life hurts, remember who he's writing to. 
He's writing to the persecuted church, the church is being thrown to lions, the church who's not getting life in the nice, bright American package that we've been used to. Like, it's, it's hard. It's difficult. And he says, even in that circumstance, even though you're going through hell on earth, I want you to be people who understand this living hope he starts talking about in chapter one. And then in chapter three, he says, he uses words like this. I want you to be united. I want you to be sympathetic. I want you to be compassionate. I want you to be humble. And then he even says, and when they are evil to you, I want you to return good. That's the verses before verse 15. As hard as it is. I want you to be people who share hope, and it's going to come. It's going to ooze out of you if you're these kinds of people. You have these kind of qualities in your life. So let me just give you a few things that I kind of like boiled it down to, that these are the things, I think, the highlights of this particular passage. Uh, the first thing I'll say is this. We need hope properly focused. We need hope properly focused. Remember, he's writing to people who are at the end of their hope, <laughs> You know, you're, you're familiar with the phrase end of your rope, but like this is like they're at the end of their hope. They've had family members who have been killed because they were Christians. They've had people hauled into prison because they're Christians. Many of them literally left their homes, left their jobs, left the life they knew just so they could survive. They've been on the run. They wound up in some churches in the area today we would call Turkey. They're, they're there. Peter's writing to them saying, I know it's not easy. It's not easy at all. But you still have hope. I really, I really appreciate what Brooke said about Kenya, because when we go there, we take teams there, and many of us support kids there. Um, man, it's it's in the slums and it's difficult, it's tough. But but what never gets out of your out of your heart and out of your mind's eye is the picture of the smile on their faces. Although they have nothing, they can't quit praising God. Like a, He is good. He is good. They would sing that song, not because they got what they wanted for Christmas, but just because God is good. So we get to 1 Peter 3.15, and that's where we're going to camp out for a while. He says this, but in your hearts, so even though things are hard, and everything's difficult, and I want you to be united and sympathetic and compassionate and humble, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. And normally, when we talk about being witnesses or um, telling other people about Jesus, we say it this way, we want to share our faith. But this week in particular, I really want us to think about what does it mean to share our hope, because that's the way he's dealing with this. I want you to be prepared to give an answer and, and a reason for the, for the hope they have. How do we share our hope? Now, here, here's a way to think about this. When we share our faith, in a sense, we're looking back. This is what God has done. This is what he did for me on the cross. This is what he did when he walked out of the grave. This is what he did when I surrendered my life to him. You know, we're looking back. My, my faith is built on what I've seen God do. But when I'm sharing my hope, I'm, I'm looking forward. And it's hard to look forward when your circumstances aren't going the way you want. So in this case, it's not necessarily maybe the easiest thing or even the most natural feeling thing. But when things are desperate, when things are difficult, it's the most important time to be able to share our hope because here's what's happening. People are watching. That's why he says it this way. Be prepared to give a reason. Be prepared to give an answer because people are going to ask you. Why would they ask you? Because they see in the midst of your pain, they see in the midst of the way life has treated you, you've chosen 
to step into that with hope. And they want to know how in the world you do that. They, they want to see that. They want to understand that. They want to know that, right? Well, I've been around Christians who may have everything going their way, but they are, how do I say this, uh, doomsday Christians. I don't know if you've ever been around somebody like this. Like, like their faith is in place, but they're pretty sure the world's coming to an end like Tuesday. And, you know, years ago, like the communists are going to take over. And then it's like the liberals, the humanists are going to take over. And then look at this, look at this. You know, everything's always bad. And it's kind of like watching the news. Like everything's always bad. Everything's based on fear. And even though these are people of faith, it's always like, oh, no, the world's going to end. Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. And these are the kind of people, too, by the way, who never smile. You know why? Because they're afraid that somebody would see them and think they're not taking life seriously enough. But, but I have a different take on that. I mean, even when life is difficult, I'm like, if we truly understand this living hope that we have in Christ, like we, more than anybody else, should be smiling somehow. Even in the midst of our tears, even in the midst of our pain, there still is a smile that comes out when we understand who Jesus is and what he's able to do. In fact, Jesus himself says, I've come to give you life more abundant and full. Life. And so... We're going to walk into that life hanging on to him with, with everything we've got. He's, he's talking about literally people seeing the hope in you even in the worst of times. That, that's the context here. And a lot of Christians, they live life like there is no hope. I mean, they might sing the songs. They may you know, know the verses, but they, there's nothing about them that just kind of oozes hope. And we, we've got to... We've got to get that right. You know, so we, there's people are kind of like counting on this. Now, when we talk about hope, let me define a couple things because I think a lot of people talk in terms of hope. We all have hopes. Like, I hope, I hope gas is going to go back down under $4 a gallon, right? Like, I hope my kid's going to turn out okay. I, I hope I don't get sick this year. I hope things don't blow up like they did last week at my house. I hope, I hope, I hope. And all those kind of hopes that we just throw out there are basically without foundation. They're, they're more like wishful thinking, aren't they? I mean, that's, that's like, I hope, I wish upon a star. That's kind of the hope that we're talking about here. But there is no guarantee in those kind of hopes. Like, I hope there's not going to be an earthquake again during the nine o'clock service, like last Sunday, what's really weird is I didn't even notice it. I just thought the place was rocking. I was, I, I was into it. It was during the teaching time. I, was, I didn't even know. People told me later there was an earthquake. But we're like, boy, I hope there's no earthquake next week. Or I, I hope that my kids are going to turn out right. Or I hope that my life's going to get a little bit easier because it's just kind of a wreck right now. Again, all those are just kind of hopes that they're just more like wishful thinking. But let me give you a working definition for the kind of hope that Peter starts talking about way back in chapter 1, and it runs all the way through this little letter. Here's the definition of Christian hope. Hope is an optimistic outlook based on powerful promises. Now, by the way, who makes those promises? God. And God is fully capable of keeping his promises. Amen? So the hope that we're talking about here is not wishful thinking. It's optimistic outlooks, but it's based on, it's based on these powerful promises. Now, the, half of that definition is the world's definition of hope. Optimistic outlook. You know, I, I will tell you, I'm an optimistic person. People say, is the glass half full or half empty? I'm like, well, fill it all the way up. Let's go. You know, it's like, I, I don't know how to think like 
negative all that. I just, I just not wired like that. I'm a very optimistic, positive person. But that's not what this is. No, it's not based on me figuring out how to look at it like the silver lining, the glass is half full. It's, it's literally saying, no, an optimistic outlook based on powerful promises. Based on powerful promises. Let me give you some examples. Because when Jesus makes promises, he's already proven because he walked out of the grave that he can keep them. So when he says that he is able to work every circumstance in my life out for good, I'm just going to believe that. Like my, my hope comes from his ability to bring good out of the worst of my life, out of the most difficult of my life. Like when, when he says, I have a, a plan for you, it's a plan to, to prosper you, and, and we're not talking about like more money, just like just the, the idea of prospering really in relationship with God. He's going he's gonna to do something for us that only he can do in this relationship that we have. When, when we think of his promise, we think he is right now, like it says, Jesus is right now preparing a place for us in heaven. And so this, this idea of hope when it comes even to heaven and eternal life and our salvation isn't some like pie in the sky thinking, like that's not just wishful thinking too. No, it's based on the powerful promises of the one who walked out of the grave. It's based on Jesus. And so our sharp focus when it comes to hope needs to be on him, not on our ability to muster up you know, some kind of optimistic feeling. No, it's like this hope is based on him. So that's where we start. The second thing I'll get out of this verse, though, is this. We need reasons individually prepared. We need reasons individually prepared. He says that people are going to ask us, and we need to give reasons, or we need to give answers. Uh, another way to say uh, individually prepared, it would be to say, like, personally prepared. So here's what I want you to do. For the last few weeks, we've been talking about our top five. I'm going to give you, like, homework. This week. And I'm just, just think of one of those people right now for an example. Okay, think of it. one person on your top five list. If you're new, our top five list are the five people we're, we're praying for right now. Five people who we know, maybe family, maybe coworkers, neighbors, classmates, somebody we know from town. Five people who we know need Jesus. Maybe we put their name on that chalkboard. We're praying for them. We want them to know Jesus. So those are our five. So just pick one of those for a minute and let me just ask you some questions. Think about that person. And here's some questions to think about. What's their greatest objection, objection to faith? What's their greatest objection to coming to church? What's their greatest fear? How could your story meet them where they're at right now? Like, what are they struggling with? What questions have they had? How are they hurting? You know, when we take some time and we think through all five of those people, we're able to maybe pinpoint maybe some promises that God has shown us that have made a difference in our life that might just help them. And so we're more prepared, we're more open, prepared for that opportunity. So let's go back to verse 15. He says this, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. That's our focus. Revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reasons for the hope that you have. And you just stop there. The people are going to ask you why, because they're watching you, because you're different, because you've shown something that's going on. They see a hope in you that they can't muster up in themselves, even in the difficult times. And so now what do we do? Well, I have a hope that I can share. And some of you are like, okay, I, I get all that. I'm with you, except 
I have hope, but uh, to share it? I don't know if I could do that. I, I, don't, I don't know if, if, if I know the Bible well enough. I mean, what, what if somebody asks me a question I don't know have the, have the answer? What if, what if some skeptic like just like gets me all twisted up over this little you know, philosophical thing and I don't know what to do and I look stupid, I look foolish. Like, well, what's going to happen? What we're really talking about here is, is our hope. <laughs> it's our reasons. Peter's not saying that we have to have a snappy rebuttal for every philosophical, uh, philosophical argument that heads our way. He's just saying, share your hope. Share your reasons. And be prepared because those opportunities God's going to give you. And I think the more prepared we are, the more opportunity he's going to send our way. Not just for the top five on our list, but anybody that God just kind of sends our way. Because he knows who can connect with our story and our hope. By, by the way, if somebody does ask you something that's just difficult, something that's just like, oh, I just don't want to answer this the wrong way. What if somebody asks you something, you're like, whoa, these, these people have read books against God. I don't even know how to respond to this. I'm going to give you, an, and you might even want to write this down somewhere. Okay, here's, here's your answer. I don't know. I actually use that because there's times I don't know. And sometimes it's like, you know what, let me do some homework, let me figure something out. And there's times I'm just like, I don't think there's a great answer for that. That's a great question. But I don't, I don't know, and I'm not sure I'm ever going to know until I get on the other side of this life. I don't know. Sometimes that's just the answer. But what I do know is the hope that I have. What I do know, let, let's talk about that, right? I, I have a reason for my hope, and it's, it's, it's my hope, and it's my reason and that's what I want to be able to share with other people. How do you prepare reasons? Let's go back to our definition. It's, it's an optimistic outlook based on powerful promises. So one of the ways that I prepare, one of the ways I can prepare to be a person who's able to share my hope is I can have those promises right here in my heart. And, and I don't know about you, but there are certain promises that you just pick up on over time. You just, they, they meant something for you, maybe because of a certain you know, storm you were going through, a certain you know, kind of difficult time or whatever. And so th there's that promise you held on. It's, a, it's yours. Like you got that promise, right? And that's what we're talking about. When somebody says, how could you have hope at a time like this? Boom, here comes the promise. It just comes out. Right? Let, let me give you an example of this. Let's say two single moms are talking. They both have teenage kids. They're at the end of their hope. At least the first one is. She says something like this. I don't know what I'm going to do with my kid. I don't know what's going on. She's like, he's never home. and I never know where he is. I really don't like the crowd he started running with. And when he is home, uh, he just locks himself in his room. He doesn't lift a finger to help with anything. If I see him in the house, I can't have a conversation. He's always got his earbuds in. I just got a terrible report card sent home from school. I'm losing him. I don't, I don't know what to do. If we're really honest, I think, you know, not having a dad in the picture has really hurt. Like some of this acting out might just be because he didn't have that father figure. And her friend says, I totally get it. You're not going crazy. Huh. 
In fact, nobody was designed to be like full-time work, provide for your family and be a mom and be a dad all in the same person. It just doesn't work that way. And I've been there and I understand. But you know, God said, he's, he's a father to the fatherless. And I just, I'm just going to count on that. I'm going to bank on that because I'm going to do everything I can. I'm just going to say, okay, God, you're the one that's going, to, that's going to take care of that gap of what I can't provide for my own kid. And by the way, it's like, I didn't like some of the kids my, my, my son was hanging around either, and, but he started going to youth group. He started meeting some better people. And, and you know, I just recently started going to church myself, and, and this is what I found out. I, I found out I needed that encouragement way more than I realized. And now that I'm there, man, I, I can't even imagine not having those people in my life. Now, here, here's what's wrong with what she said. She didn't use a verse and a chapter in the book where she got that promise. Do you notice that? She just had the promise. She just had the hope. She was like, here's my hope. God promised that he's a father to the fatherless. You know, God promises that he can work all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. They don't need to know it's Romans 8, 28, right? It's like, no, just, just let them know. This is what I'm hanging on to. You know what God said? He said he will never leave me or forsake me. And even though things right now are really, really hard, I know he hasn't left. I know he's right there. I may not even feel like it, but I know it because I believe him. You see what they're doing in all these kind of scenarios I'm just giving you, they're all just saying, here's the promise that I'm hanging on to. This is the promise, the, the, the powerful promise that gives me hope no matter what I'm going through. One of the beauties of reading the Bible every day, spending every day with Jesus, one of the beauties is you come across promises all the time. And here's what I found out. I, I might read past the same promise 49 times over the years. But the 50th time, because of what I'm going through, that promise just like jumps off the page, you know, like, oh, yeah, I remember that. But this time it's like, that's what I needed. And then maybe for the rest of my life, that promise is going to mean something to me. That promise might even help me connect to somebody else's story who may be going through a similar thing. It's like that promise turns into gold for me. It's the powerful promise that restores my hope, and I need that promise to hang on to. Some of you are like, yeah, that sounds good for you. You're, you're a professional, and you're used to talking to people in front of crowds. Like, I'm not bold, and, and I can't do that, and that's not my thing. And I, I don't even know about talking about religion. My family has a whole, like, like, law against that. Like, we don't talk about politics. We don't talk about religion. Like, how am I supposed to do this, right? Well, let me, let me let you off the hook. God doesn't want you to be anything you're not. He wired you the way you are. You say, yeah, well, I'm, I'm an introvert. I don't, I just, that's okay. God can use you. you know, I don't want to get up in front of people. And I don't want to talk and I don't want to lecture. That's all right. God can use you. Because what's going to happen is the person who needs your story doesn't even need to hear my story. They just need to hear yours. And it doesn't need to be loud and it doesn't need to be well articulated. It just needs to be genuine and it needs to be real. And it needs to be from your heart. See, God doesn't need a defense attorney. Did you know that? He's going to be okay. I know people throw questions about God all the time, and we don't have to answer every one of those with a snappy comeback and put people back in their place. You know, it's like, no, we just need, we just need to give the reason for our hope. 
And that's what some people need to hear, and I think everybody can do that. So, so with that in mind, come to the third thing I notice, and that is we need gentleness, respectfully expressed. I love the fact that nowhere in Peter's letter is it found that you need an outgoing personality, but he does say this. Here it is at the end of verse 15, but do this with, what does it say? Gentleness and respect. But do this with what? Gentleness and respect. <laughs> I, I think some of you might even be going, wait, I could do that. You I mean, you don't have to be loud. You don't have to be bold. You don't have to have a sign. You don't have to stand on the street corner. You don't have to yell at people driving by. Gentleness and respect. Humility. Caring. Loving. God can work through that way more powerfully than some of the ways that we project what we want to say about God. He uses that one-on-one -on -one conversation. That's how he did it in the first century. That's still how he does it today. And the way we get there is we, we're humble enough to maybe set aside our agenda and say, okay, God, use me. This is uncomfortable for me. This is unnatural for me. But if my story is going to help somebody else, God, please help me. Help me do that. By your power, by your strength, help me figure out the words. I want to be used by you. And I think God can do some pretty amazing things through us if that's just our simple prayer. God, use me. And, and I think the way we get there, I think the way we get there is what we were talking about last week. We were talking about listening. Like in any relationship, listening is such a key thing. Here, here's what I see Christians doing that sometimes drives me nuts, and I probably am guilty of it sometimes too. Here's what Christians sometimes do. They are answering the questions that no one's asking. You know, I walk into a room, and you know what I think? You know, I think God is sovereign, and we have free will. You're either a Calvinist, you're either an Arminian, and that's the debate. And they're just going, um, I got a kid who's going off the deep end. What do I do, right? We're, we're, we're not listening to what's going on. We just start spouting off what we've been reading lately. And we had to be really careful. We got to figure out by listening what people need. And then maybe we can hear what God wants us to say to them. But we have to start by listening, finding out some of those things like what are their questions and, and where are they hurting and, and what's going on and, and some of those kind of things so that we know maybe better how to respond. And then when we listen and we're able to serve, uh, we, we, we earn the right then to share some of our story. I love a couple of these verses. Back in chapter 2, it said this in verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Just, just by the way you treat people, people are going to be drawn to God. Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter 5. And this is out of the message uh, translation. I really like the way it puts it. But these are Jesus' words in Matthew 5, 16. Listen. I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. I, I, I truly believe people are, are drawn to God by our kindness. People are drawn to God by our service. People are drawn to God by our love. People are drawn to God by our gentleness and our humility and our respect. So he says, I want you to do this with gentleness and respect. I guarantee you there's, there's going to be people watching you this week. 
And you maybe never think about it that way. <laughs> but the minute you say, yes, I'm a Christian. The minute you say, yeah, I go to that church over there by him at high school. The minute you say, you know, whatever about your faith in Jesus, people are just watching. And, and let me tell you, some of them are watching because they want to see you trip up. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, you said a bad word. And they're like, ha ha. They can, they can cuss like a sailor. It doesn't matter. But you claim to be a Christian and you just said a bad word. Boom. They're all over you, right? Some of you are like, yeah, but if I say, yeah, that means that I said a bad word. Yeah. So it's happened to me. Like I've said something I shouldn't say. And then people are like, oh, and you're a Christian, right? Oh, and you're a pastor. In the midst of that, <laughs> even with that going on, they're still watching. And here's the funny thing that I've discovered. It's happened with a few different people. The people that gave me the hardest time are the people who came running to me when their life fell apart. The people who gave me the hardest time are the people who came running to me when their life fell apart. Because even though they saw me that one day and I really blew it, I messed up, and I even apologized for it openly, even though they made fun of me, like they still knew there was something different. And so when something fell apart in their life, they came running. Now, I want to I get into the next few verses just because it's, it's really kind of confusing, and I don't want to just brush over it and not hit on it so that it makes sense if you kind of read the whole chapter. And then I'm going to give you our fourth thing. But, but here's verses 18 through 20. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteousness for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. Okay, so he's going to transition and talk about baptism. But before he does that, he throws this thing in here about Noah and about Jesus somehow talking to the spirits who are imprisoned. And I'm going to tell you right now, you can spend probably the next week reading all the different opinions on what that means. So let me, let me just give it to you this way, and then I'll explain it more. But here's number four. We need confidence courageously maintained. And here's the confidence. We're going to get confidence based on this little story about Noah that he just kind of throws in at the end of this picture. It's possible that maybe what he means is, you know, Jesus pre-existed Bethlehem. Like he is, he's the son of God. Father, son, Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image. Jesus has always existed. And before he became a human being, he put on flesh so that he could give us his life on the cross. He was already existing, but by his spirit, apparently he is helping with Noah. He's in Noah's presence and he's speaking to people who literally listen, but they didn't turn. Like they listened to what Noah said, even with the help of, of the spirit of Christ, and they didn't respond. And so somehow he's like able to proclaim to those who just still said no, whatever that means. But here's what I want you to get out of this. I'm, I want to I read verse 19 one more time out of another translation. It gives us a picture of this. He says, he went and proclaimed God's salvation to earlier generations who ended up in the prison of judgment because they wouldn't listen. Okay, I know, this is just bizarre stuff. We just threw in the middle of all this. But here's what I want you to hear. Everything else we said, forget this for just a minute. Everything else we said, some of you might be, okay, we need to share our hope, not just share our faith. We need to share our hope, and anybody can do this. And I just, in my story, i got to get a promise. And then you're like, yeah, but. Well, what about, yeah, but Noah? Did you know Noah did more than just build an ark? 
It says for 120 years, he preached to people. And he had zero converts. The only people that got on the ark were his family members. Like nobody else turned. Nobody else repented. Nobody else understood what was really going on. And so I just kind of was sitting there one day and I would just write these things down. If Noah had Christ with him, if Noah had the spirit of God with him, just know this, so do you. And so do I. Here's another thought though. If Noah didn't have to produce results, neither do we. Now hear me carefully. It's my job to do the possible. It's God's job to do the impossible. The possible is me talking to people, telling people the good news, telling them about the hope in my life, but I can't change their heart and I don't save them. I speak, but God saves them. And so Noah had no converts. And if I was just faithful to God the rest of my life and nobody ever responded to Jesus, I would still be faithful like Noah was. And if Noah can handle the insults, do you, do you even imagine? Like it talks about it a little bit in Genesis, but can you even imagine the things that people said to him while he's building this gigantic boat and there's no lake and there's no rain? I think they'd be harsh, like hashtag idiot. Like they would be all over him. Now, social media about Noah would be relentless, right? Talk about cancel culture. They would have canceled him right in the very beginning. Insults are not our prayer for our top five. Whether they're the ones that insult us or not. Our prayer for the top five is to have our eyes open to the opportunities that God brings up in our friendship, in our relationship with him. And I always liked the way Billy Graham said it. And I think it was Billy Graham that said this. He says, or it was Billy Sunday, actually. One beggar is telling another beggar where to find bread. We're just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. We're, we're not any better than anybody else. We just know who the answer is. And we know his powerful promises. So you go to the last couple of verses and it says this, and this water symbolizes baptism. So we just talked about Noah and the water. And he says, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge. You might want to circle that word if you have a paper Bible. Pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Let me, let me tell you the beauty of our, our baptism. It's, it's where we go public. Like, this is what Jesus did, and he showed us the example. This is what the early church did. And here in 1 Peter, he's still talking about it. This is what they did. They, they went public, and they were buried in baptism. They were raised to walk in a new life. And he says, when we do that, we're just pledging our, our, our life to God and saying, God, I couldn't do this without you. And I'm not saved because I get wet. I'm saved because of what you did on the cross and that you walked out of the grave. But because you did that, I'm going to show the world that I'm not ashamed of that. And so I'm going to get baptized. I'm going to go public with this. That, that's what our baptism baptism is all about. It's because we understand where our hope comes from. And it's not something we just kind of muster up ourselves and, and, and manufacture on our own. I, I want to wrap up with something I saw on social media today. My friend Jen Thompson posted something, and maybe some of you saw it if you follow her. Jen's the wife of uh, Jeremy, our executive pastor, who passed away four months, five months ago. And uh, she writes this, and I just want to share this with you. I asked her permission. She said, so many of you prayed for Jeremy's healing. You cried and fasted and pleaded to God. And when our prayers aren't answered or they don't feel heard, it's easy to question and wonder, does God hear my prayers? Does he care? God in his mercy answered the most wonderful 
or the most difficult prayer I've prayed. Not my will, but yours. I prayed for Jeremy to be healed and to come home. And you know, he is perfectly healed and he is home because his citizenship is in heaven. I just want you to know that your prayers were not in vain. I believe that God used his servant Jeremy to bring us into the deepest communion that some of us have ever had with God. God not only loves Jeremy, he loves all of you too and wants a relationship with you. Jeremy was a gifted communicator, a bridge builder, and a connector. And I believe that God uses Jeremy's last moments here on earth to connect you to his father. Your earnest prayers for Jeremy were never just about Jeremy's healing, but to draw you closer to God. So please do not lose heart or faith. And instead, know the great love that God has for you. That is exactly how you can honor Jeremy. I saw that first thing this morning. I'm in tears. But so true, so articulate. And so from the depths of someone who understands pain, there's still hope because of who Jesus is. And because now, because of this living hope, we have a picture that's, that's beyond this picture. This, this the life that we have right now with, with pain and everything else. We, we understand that hope goes beyond this. Our friends over here, Michelle and Allie and Aaron, Michelle just lost her husband. They lost their dad just a couple weeks ago. I've got a friend on a ventilator right now. That doesn't mean God's not good, that God doesn't care. God just has a bigger picture. It goes well beyond just our time here on earth for a little while. I want you guys to know no matter how difficult it is, there is still hope to be found in Him and in His promises. And when it hits and then the storms hit, hang on to Him. Whenever it happens, we have this choice. We can run to Him or we can run from Him. And I've seen people go both ways. But man, if I can encourage you to do anything, it's to run to Him. Where else? Where else are we going to find hope? Like the disciples said, where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of life. And so we're going to run to him. Let me pray. God, I don't know who's here and hurting right now. I know some of them. I know some of the stories in this room. And there is great pain. But there is in the midst of that great hope. And we just want to say thank you for that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, send us out this week, whether we're in the, on the mountaintop or in the valley, send us out to share our hope this week. And it's in the name of Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our King, we pray. And everyone said...